You're listening to KXOB, Ocean Beach, where Constancy is the spice of life. Welcome to Beach Cop Detectives, a Terriers podcast. Episode 7, Missing Persons. I'm Randy Lander of the TV Dudes. With me today is Les Weiler, TV aficionado and also occasional TV Dude guest host. Hey, y'all. So we are going to be talking about Episode 7, Missing Persons. This episode is directed by Michael Zinberg, who, common theme, this is only episode of Terriers, but he's got about 100 directing credits as well as producing credits. The episode is written by Jed Seidel, who also wrote Dog and Pony, the second episode. Okay. And was also a producer on the show. We were, we're past the arc stuff a little bit. We're past the Montague arc, but we're into, this is the second episode of the Katie Has Fucked Up arc. Yes. Yes. And so it's starting to slide towards where the season ends up going, which is a larger... I kind of associate more like a Fletch movie plot right. that, that kind of ends up taking elements throughout the season, but but I, the season moves to a different arc really than I, than I thought it was going to go to when I first started watching it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think this is around that time where uh, a lesser show would have come unmoored and just floundered for a couple episodes and not had a direction because I thought that's what was going to happen when I first watched Terriers and got to about this point was, okay, now we're down to just the relationship stuff, but we've closed off one of the bigger kind of case parts. And so I, I really didn't see where it was going to go, and, and they could have easily floundered for two episodes. Yeah, but instead, we're on to a strong second arc. Mm-hmm. There's not a ton of, of Katie and Britt in here. There's a little bit. But what there is is really interesting. So Britt has obviously noticed Katie acting weird. Last we saw of them, Hank had told Katie, you know, keep this stuff this down the memory hole. Don't tell him. It'll destroy him. You're just going to have to live with the guilt. And she's not doing well with it. Well, and it's always telling what they decide at the start of a show to say previously on. Yeah. Because it's never going to be an even sweep of all the previous six episodes. It's they're, they're hitting on things that are about to come up in this episode. And they start episode seven with a previously on that, that expressly shows her telling Hank and Hank telling her, you bury this and you never tell him, which is the most alcoholic answer to keeping a secret I've ever heard. It's very Hank, much Hank. It's what Hank would do. Yes. What's weird is that Hank's been so all about the truth in other places, but in this area, and it's because, I really think part of it is because the drinking was involved. That's what he kept saying in that previous episode, like, it wasn't you. He's, again, not talking to Katie. He's talking to himself yeah. from the past. Yeah, the, the rules that allow Hank to keep living his life and be okay won't permit him to, to not do this for her. Katie is sort of taking things out on Britt a little bit. She's being kind of distant whether on purpose or just because she can't face him. And Britt is noticing and getting pissed off. And as you noted before we started recording, Britt gets pissed this episode, yells, has this big yelling thing at Hank about how Hank always has the final say in the partnership and he's a partner, he's not supposed to be a sidekick and all this kind of stuff. And it's all true, but that's not yes. what he's mad about. Yes, and I love that they don't have Britt backtrack that entire argument. Like Britt very quickly during that rant at Hank stops and goes it's katie man i'm sorry it's about katie yeah but he still doesn't back off what i mean everything he said is true he, yeah it's 100 percent right and hank acknowledges that too that you're right i'm not i just am just i get excited i do a thing it yeah. seems like the right move and so i do it yeah he talks about how he acts reflexively and i think acts reflexively that's promises his phrase to be better and we know from watching Hank that Hank promises to be better all the <laughs> he time. He won't. Yeah, no, that's what he does. I mean, the whole reason that you're both here in your lives is because Hank can't be better. No, Hank promises to be better, but Hank can't actually follow through on that promise. I also think this is the first time we see Britt and Katie together. And the implication is maybe they hadn't been together sexually since this. <laughs> mm -hmm. And 
that is so awkward and so powerful. Like that her, whole scene is so well acted. Her immediate need to get up and get the hell out of there because sex now to her is reminder that yes. she cheated. Yes, and I and I feel like anybody who has ever burnt down a relationship to that to to a good degree really can see the truth in that in those scenes. Yeah. They're incredibly awkward and very true. Yeah, Laura Allen really just kills it in this episode. There's a moment where she rolls over and he asks if she came and yeah. just the the look on her face and her n- not quite flinching away from him but you can tell that she can't really bear to be comforted. Yeah. And it's uh it's the root of the thing she admitted to Hank when she or that Hank tells her when she asks, why would I do this? I found the ring and I know he's going to ask me. And then I purposely blew it up and Hank nails it. He says, you don't think you deserve this. Yeah. And I can't tell you why, but I can tell you don't. Well, so much of this episode is about misdirected aggression, misdirected feelings, because Katie's mad at herself, but she can't take it out on herself. I mean, she is taking it out on herself, but she has to take it out on Britt. Mm -hmm. And Britt's mad about Katie, but he can't take it out on Katie, so he takes it out on Hank. And Hank's upset about Steph, but he can't take it out on Steph, so he funnels it all into this yeah. kid. It's it's like Katie has a puppy that she doesn't feel she deserves to own, but you can't make him leave, but you can't be mean to a puppy. Yeah. And, and it just leaves Britt like a dog that doesn't understand why he's being shunned. A terrier, if you will. Oh, dum dum. <laughs> so let's talk, before we get into the A plot. That's probably why they named it the title of that's, the show. That's what it was. That's, this it was this episode. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into the plot, I want to talk about, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, how good the characters, like the smaller characters are in this show. So for one thing, there's Carter, the deli owner, who is Joe from Sanitation on Parks and Rec. I was looking for credits and I was like, oh my God, of course that's who it is. He first showed up in Ring-A-Ding-Ding, which was the previous episode. Okay. And he's in two more episodes because the diner's sort of one of their hangouts. He's a really solid, interesting character, just in that little thankless role of the guy who owns the place. Like mm-hmm. you get... The familiar relationship they have and just the little expressions they have between each other. And then there's Huey. They talk about Huey's bladder is going to burst if this kid doesn't get out of the bathroom. Huey is played by J. Michael Ross. He's the older guy. Mm-hmm. He's got this great voice and his delivery of lines. He was the guy. He was in the pilot. And he's the guy from Fuster Cluck who had one of my favorite lines. I called out. I didn't recognize it was him. Saying, rich folks incoming. Posture, everyone. There's <laughs> this. You get the sense that Huey is having his own life, his own story that we just see glimpses of. He's the funny old guy. And in this episode, I think his line is mostly uh, coming through. Yeah. He's just going to go. He just And he stands there and pees he, through the whole opening scene. Yes, he doesn't care that anyone else is in there. He's like, I got to do my thing. Which was completely believable. Yeah. There is Doc Johnson, who we'll only see here. He's a former pharmacist and now ice cream dealer because he got high on his own supply. And once again, great character. Can't believe that he's yeah. not in every episode as their constant magic go-to. Don't you feel like if they'd gone on, like, this is a character we'd have seen again? And that's what was so frustrating to me that this is a one-season show, is that they didn't just give me a good show or a few good characters. It's a good town. Yeah. I you, Setting. Yeah. You could do 30 stories about Springfield in this, and, and I would watch it. I agree. I mean, that's something that we talked about on the previous episode, was that when they're at their bar, like, they hang out at that sort of open-to-the-street bar. Mm-hmm. That it feels like there's a, there's a story there, like all those characters. Like I'm sure there's a story for all those people. Yeah, yeah. I loved uh, Hank getting free breakfast out of it, and Britt without batting an eye going two weeks breakfast. <laughs> yes, one week breakfast. Okay. Yeah. Well, the two of them are so good at playing off one another. Britt picks up instantly on something that Hank does. Yes. And yes. Will always push a little further. Yes. 
And I like that he he says no steak and eggs. The one concession back before yes. I before I bury myself here. Yeah, well, no steak and eggs. You get eggs, you can get toast, but no. And steak. then give some crap about no, no, no. I said all the way out. You get him out. Yeah. I'm like, come on, let the boy have some pancakes. And he also says free for you, not, not for him. <laughs> There's just lots of tiny moments that don't waste any episode time, yeah. but I can see where you cut them out in a lot of shows. Sure. And they they help really make me feel like I am hanging out here with these guys. Yeah, you feel you feel like we're seeing their world. We're seeing yes. the whole thing. And a few other minor characters of this episode. Dee Dee, the roommate, played by Jerrica Hinton. Yes. Who she played Dr. Stephanie Edwards on Grey's Anatomy. I did not catch that, but I had her name written down because her character is so briefly on screen and there's so much happening with her really, really quickly that's hysterical. She makes an instant impression. Yes. Well, the first thing she says is she thinks it's worried that they're cops because she's Because she super is coke to the gills. Yeah. <laughs> She opens the door just about vibrating, yeah. and and they even call like, "Hey, chill, Scarface." But then <laughs> when they come the inside yeah. as as private investigators, and and this is some hush, but they come inside as private investigators, and she immediately sits down and cuts lines. Yeah, like she doesn't just yeah. sit there and twiddle her thumbs like I'm not doing drugs, but you know I'm doing. She sits down and does drugs. Yeah, she's like, "Well, these guys, these guys can't bust me, well, so I just <laughs> get on with my day." It it took two viewings before I realized, like, holy crap, she just walked right back over there. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they interrupted her watching TV. Yes. She's like, you know what? Come in, look at my roommate's room, whatever. I'm going to keep doing what I was doing. L, the imaginary girl. Piper McKenzie Harris plays her. And I think the important thing here is that kid actors are always tough. Mm-hmm. But in this little bit that she's got, she mirrors that sort of childlike joy that Karina Logue is supposed to be having. And I don't know about you. I was watching all those scenes. We'll talk more about this when we talk more about Steph. But I was watching all those scenes with that sort of sense of dread, like, Oh, what is she? You know, we're programmed to think she's going to do something to this kid. The first time I saw it, I thought for most of it that it was a hallucination that the kid was not real, which really you which went was there true. First. But I was still wrong. I assumed that this was like Steph is a girl, oh, okay. or that that she was flashing back to, and that, that it's some like that I was about to stumble into a flashback of young Donald and you know, oh, okay. like or young Hank and and whatever their family okay, life was. Yeah, yeah. That she had slipped time. Okay. For some reason, yeah, and, and not just that she had hallucinated. And finally, one last thing I want to mention, uh, Mrs. Eames, the neighbor. Yes. Who I was kind of surprised because I mentioned in previous episodes that Mrs. Newport has been their neighbor. And I'm like, oh, there's a whole story. Like, she's the Rosencrans and Guildenstern of, of uh, Terriers. But now I don't know if, like, they changed the name because she was always out there watering. Mm-hmm. Or if they have neighbors on either side who water their flowers and they just decide to go with a different actress. But it weirded me out. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not the same person that they're always talking to when they come to the house. But then again, Hank doesn't know any of his neighbors, really. That's true. And so it yeah. could be nearly anybody he says hey to. That's true. The little girl, yeah. she gets a line off, uh, should you be out here playing alone? And she looks back at Steph without missing a beat and goes, should you? Yeah. And finding a child actor to nail that line, yeah. uh, I don't know how many takes that might have taken or, or maybe just one, but it was flawless. Yeah. All right, so let's let's talk about the A plot. Let's talk about the the kid who we meet at the diner. He's played by Noel Fisher, who yes. plays Mickey on Shameless. Yes, uh, Noel Fisher's one of my favorite. He was also on The Riches. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's the son on The Riches, which was a problematic show, but where it was great, it was great. It had a killer cast. Yes, and the yeah. cast was phenomenal on it. Between those two roles, he's one of those actors that sticks out for me. I think Mickey's Lover, the the I guess more main cast. Uh, in Shameless, I can't think of that actor's name that was one of the faux jokers on season one of Gotham. Mm-hmm. But I was so glad to see Noel Fisher show up in this episode. Just that he's one of those actors that, that please cast him in everything for 10 years until we prove he either can or can't. It's another one of those things that Terriers does, which is to cast really interesting actors in every part. Yeah. Every every case of the week has a memorable character. Yes. And he's a, he's memorable instantly. 
I like the face that they see him. He's sort of freaking out. He's clearly, he's dashing to the bathroom. And it's one of those just note perfect setups. He's in there vlogging it. Hey, man, what's up? Open up. I got to change those towels. going on man is it is it like this do you think or or should i is it is it like this i can't i can't tell you know because because i don't i don't know i'm I'm supposed to know but i don't know and i I just i don't know why i'd do you guys know who i am because i got no idea and amnesia is not a new plot for detectives it's a common thing to do yes and and even where they go with it it's amnesia from a roofie drug. And even still, they don't land where 90% of, of cop shows like this would go. Right. I mean, having seen a lot of, of Law & Order, like every red-blooded American, I, I really did not expect this to, to quite go where it was. And Hank is defending the kid the entire time for yeah. his own reasons. He just doesn't believe the kid's crazy. And Britt wants to know why. Britt's, Britt's on him about what's going on. And Hank gives him a little bit of BS, like, well, there might be a nice fat reward in it for us. But he quickly owns up that, yeah, it's about Steph. Which yeah. we all knew. We could tell. And when, when Britt finally comes down on Hank for impetuously doing things and not splitting the partnership evenly, that's when Hank finally goes, you know what, fine. If we need to leave this kid standing here, that's then that's what we have to do. Yeah. But Hank still doesn't want to. Right. Because this is memories of, of him. And they know they never tell us specifically what happened with, with Steph. We know yes. there was blood. We know there was sharp objects. We don't know if she hurt anybody else. We got the sense that she hurt herself. Mm-hmm. But this kid is definitely reflecting on Hank. Like, he remembers Steph sort of breaking, and he thinks that this kid is, like, breaking. Yes. Until he's seen the, the drug involved, he thinks maybe the kid had, like, a psychotic break Yes, or and that this is that moment where somebody needs to be sympathetic or this gets really, really bad. Yeah. And he wants to be there for him because he remembers Steph, and he would, would have wanted somebody to be there for her. Yes, yes. And, yeah, so we meet with the doc. He identifies the pill, so now we know that it's sort of a, a roofie thing, but we know it's an anti-malaria drug. They leave the roofie bit out. So yes, at the start, I don't think it's until uh, until Rockman Dunbar. It's when they go to Gustafson. Yeah, yeah. when they go to Gustafson yeah. that he that that Mark says, and this can also be a roofie. Yeah, because yeah, the doc just tells him like, no, it basically the only thing it doesn't give you is malaria. Yeah, yeah. Well, he talks about paranoia, which yeah. so they don't know how much they can trust the kid. Like he, Hank out and out tells him he's like the kid says he has a feeling he did something wrong. And he's like, look, paranoia is one of the side effects. Yeah, you know, it's probably nothing. This is probably going to wear off in two days yeah. or a day or two. And so they, they take him to Gustafson, and they have him run into the system. What's wrong with you, man? You don't like doing pro bono work. You do this when you guys apartments pick up strays? Only every other day. So is there anything else I can do for you gentlemen? I mean, maybe host a car wash in the parking lot to help raise awareness? You know, Mark, Thanks, I know that you mentioned it. You can run his prints just in case. Could you scan his prints? Post 9-11. This SOP. Thanks. Listen, this doesn't look like a bad kid. Do you think he's up to something no good? No, but he does. All right. If he comes up one and you know we get to keep him. And before we even see that, he punches Robledo in the, no- in the nose and runs off. Yes. Uh, which... Robledo's another great little character. He's just so so indignant that some kid just popped him. Like, they were doing a favor, and this kid popped me in the face. And just runs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what takes him to... I like. I love the clue chains in this show. Like, every clue is, like, they get the hit off Jessica Sampson because that's the flyer that set him off. So that's how they go to find the roommate, Dee Dee. And then from Dee Dee, they, see, they find the trip to Cambodia. Yes. And from there, they go back to this... They find the kid's name. They go to his house. His name is... Uh, it's Fisher. Adam Fisher. Yes. And so that leads him back to the house. I also love their Hank's lone gunman crack me up 
Are they only in this episode? Are they, no, they've they turn been in up in one episode prior to this, and I believe they are in another one later. That's I, I thought they turned up in, in a couple at least. They do. They become when the Montague plot comes back in. They help. Hank That's right. They become very important. Yeah. Uh, but I absolutely love their just nonchalance on the amount of legal stuff that they do, and yeah, and how shady this all is. Yeah. You guys can track credit cards. Yeah. How do you think we fund this? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You know. Mulder's lone gunmen were crazy conspiracy conspiracy theorists, mm-hmm. so it makes sense that Terrier's lo- that uh, Hank's lone gunman would be uh, guys who don't think that much of the law. Yeah, yeah, these and are just kind of black hat guys that are yeah, do whatever they want. Yeah, and so I, I got a kick out of Hank going to them and and then knowing that he can't really explain later how they got the kid's address or anything. But it, yeah, whatever doesn't matter. He takes shortcuts. I mean, that's that's what they do. They take shortcuts, and that it is dumb luck. Yeah. that they find. Jessica Samson. Jessica. And that's one thing I wanted to mention. I was talking to Nate Bliss, who was on one of the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. He had some issues with this show because he thought that they sort of uh, underplayed Fisher's role in the thing and sort of overplayed the sympathy for him and underplayed the sympathy for Jessica. Like, we get a thumbs up from her, see she's okay, and they send her off. We don't really hear anything more about her. So the trauma that she goes through, they sort of underplay it. Yeah. But I think the reason for that is because the story isn't about Jessica. It's not about Fisher. It's about Hank and Steph. Yes. And so it's about how Hank reacts to all this stuff. That's why that's why they play what they play. And the and the central thing that Hank believes that is in question and you're trying to sell the audience on is whether crazy people are responsible for their actions or or always deserve sympathy because that's Hank's central problem he wrestles yes. with is I love my sister, but is this is that blind? Right. Is he is she in, is she a danger to people? Is she yes. a danger to herself or others? Yes, because I feel like Hank would protect Steph whether she was fully in the wrong or not. Oh, I agree. But he would like to know whether or not that's the case. Yeah, he'll and, do what needs to be done, but he wants to know what he's doing. Yes. Yeah. I and I and I feel like the central conceit of this episode was then to bring the audience along on that same kind of journey that Hank went through years ago with Steph. Yeah. Because I loved the twist of Adam Fisher wondering, I okay, fine, I took a pill that made me paranoid and delusional. Right. So I got delusional and I was compl- – like none of this is, was real and I was unable to, to – fully unmoored from reality. Right. But then I did something that was completely out – should be completely out of my – moral code which is not something that like you're supposed to be able to be hypnotized into or that's always the comforting conceit is that you won't do anything beyond your personal moral code i'm not sure how scientifically really true that is right but it really shook i liked that they touched on it it really shook adam fisher that no maybe i'm broken maybe this pill didn't make me delusional maybe this broke me and this won't wear off yeah like or it wears off and i'm not delusional but i'm now a bad person Okay. You ever had one of those nightmares where you do something so terrible you know you can never take it back? Yeah, sure. When you wake up, you're so relieved. Imagine waking up into a nightmare like that. This nightmare could have been a lot worse, man, if it weren't for you. You know, if we didn't get here in time. And he's got all the sympathy for the kid. And when Adam calls, you can see he's upset. He says, you know, you told me everything was going to be okay. He says, I'm going to take care of the asshole who did this to her, me. Which is me. Yeah. And I mean, you can see that this kid is not, he's repentant at the very least. It's, yeah. He's repulsed by himself. Yeah. And Hank, I, this is so telling because it's just the same thing he said to Katie last episode. He tells him it wasn't you. Mm-hmm. Drugs off you makes you a different person. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. Yeah. Because if it's not that, then Hank has a lot to answer for. Yes. You can accept the consequences of what you did. Sure. But Hank cannot believe that it was something you wanted to do. Right. You may have done it, but you didn't mean to. You didn't want to. Right. He can't 
live with having purposely done what he's done to his own life. Yeah. And he doesn't want to believe that Steph would have purposely done any of whatever she did. Right. And he doesn't want to believe that anything he did when he was drunk did was yes. things that he yes. meant to do. He may have to live with the consequences of yeah. it, but he doesn't have to live with thinking I'm the kind of person that thought it'd be funny to do it. Yeah. They go back to a hostage situation. Gustafin calls him and says he did it again, uh, which we don't know exactly what that means. But next thing we know, Adam has taken poor Dee Dee hostage in an apartment. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about having a gun. Hank just blusters his way in there. because Again, Hank, this is really, again, luck. That the kid had not snapped and didn't have a real gun. Because Hank just buffaloes in there, regardless of what Gustin's telling him. And he's got a water pistol. Because I think that kid was aiming for suicide by cop. Yes, I think you're right. That that's what he was hoping for. He was like, I couldn't do it myself, but I can get the cops to shoot me. And then everything's done. I think you're exactly right. Hank has this really great monologue where, well, not monologue because he's talking to him. But he he talks about uh, the kid thinking he's crazy. He's going to pass. And he's very much talking about Steph. Now listen to me, man. You do not get to do this. There are people out there who have a kind of crazy that will never go away. And they have to keep on living. And what happened to you is going to pass. So stop being a selfish prick and pull yourself together. You got it? Because he's talking to the kid, but you you know he's not talking about the kid. The kid is, I mean, he does care about the kid, but it's really about him and Steph. Well, that's a that's a run that's a running theme through this entire episode. Almost no character gives dialogue to the person that that conversation is intended for throughout right. almost this entire episode. It seems like. Yeah, let's talk about Steph and Hank. Karina Logue made such an impression on the show. She's only in like five episodes. She I was- could not remember when I rewatched it. I had forgotten that it's very early on that you actually see her revealed. Yeah, it feels like a, it feels like a kind of a through line. Like she shows up and then she's there for the rest of the show. But that's not how it. That's goes. really not how it goes. But she also she doesn't show up really. We we see her hinted at. We don't only really see her until episode four, Fuster Clock, mm-hmm. and then here we are, episode seven, and it looks like they're writing her out. And I won't say for those who are following the show along whether or not that's true, but. She's definitely not in the next couple episodes. Like so many other tiny elements of this show, there are things that are part and parcel with Steph's character being on the show that are vitally important later that that caught me off guard where I went, oh, you guys actually snuck that past me. One character's been carrying that item the entire time and I forgot about it. And there's there are things attached to Steph that save the day later that I'd just seemed masterful the first time it, when when it all came together with a bow at the end I, I was really impressed yeah when you watch all the terrors all together it really does feel like oh they they knew what they're doing and i i need to ask exactly when i'm doing interviews exactly what the deal is but i know that they filmed all this like it was done before they had any ratings in basically it was like it was set and, and it doesn't finished. seem like a show that tried to do any reshoots to make anyone happier no they were they were set like the story was told you can tell that from the beginning because like you say little things come back too one of the things i really love about Karina Lowe's performance is that she really can play the sort of subtleties of medication. At the opening of this episode, when she and Hank are having dinner and they're sort of talking, she seems sort of more stable. She's she's picking up. She's still very plain talk, but she's picking up some subtle gags that she wouldn't have previously. Mm-hmm. Like she's getting a little bit of that subtlety and that that her intelligence would seem to indicate. And the dueling impressions of their mom, where they sort of throw back to them being kids together. I would love to know more about what their home life was like. Yes. Uh, I would like to know if that's their actual mom that they're <laughs> I would on. like to hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but is that the same moment where he leaves the room and then she yells for... The, he goes to get ice cream and he makes a joke about how maybe mom wants some or something like that. 
and she starts asking mom you want ice cream and yelling and he realizes that but there's a there's a very quick moment where you yeah. realize that she's really yelling for mom yeah and it's heartbreaking because it seemed minutes before like she was getting better yes yes uh because there had been moments where she had been emotionally blunted on the meds yeah. where where she wasn't as sharp and hank pointed out you know hey on her meds she's, she's brilliant great yeah off her meds she's not anybody who's been around anybody on psych meds or, or even seen any media dealing with psych meds there's that's always the complaint is that you're zombied yeah uh, and you don't have the full spectrum which also includes crazy and so seeing her have some of that sharp humor even though she is very flat monotone in her delivery you want to believe she's okay and hank wants to believe she's okay yeah. and when it when the camera cuts back and you see his character realize that she's really yelling for your mom and he doesn't want to believe it it's the same as uh him knowing that things are not where he put them for the first bit yeah. of the show, there's stuff moving around his house. Yeah. And he mentions it three or four times. Yeah. These are not concerns he can deal with. And so he just kind of lets it ride. And, and you can see him try to put this in that same box. So Stefan L., like I say, you, you picked up really quickly that it was not it was not a real person. I was watching the whole time thinking something like that she was either going to get the kid hurt or the strange adult was going to be in a little girl's bedroom when their parents came home or something like that. Like some kind of thing like that was going to yeah. happen. And instead, it's that's not real. And when she when she talks about it, when she has that freak out, she goes over to the house. It's very fly to the navigator. Yeah. You know, this is my house kind of or, or, you know, where's the kid? Yeah. And and just weirds those people out. Yeah. Well, because she's talking about something that doesn't happen. It never happened. Yeah, and not at all. It's not like I, you met my child, but she's not here right now. Right. Why do you know my child? There's no child. Yeah, they're like, what are you talking about? Um, and at the same time, the big thing she's freaking out about is the tire pressure that she warned Mrs. Eames about. And so she's just focusing on like, I told you it was low. I told you it was yelling over and over again. And I think that's an indication that, that Steph wants to help people. Steph can see things that other people can't see. And she's trying to get people to see the world the way she is. And mm -hmm. when they when they don't see the world the world the way she does, it's frustrating. Yeah, and Karina Loeb, she got that fixated, hyper focus, yeah. really, really well. In a, in a way that wasn't how often we see uh, Nicolas Cage is an unfair one to jump to, but, but sure. But how but, often we see people play crazy and it's too much. Yeah, Manic is really easy to overplay, and she does not overplay it. Yeah, I, which is sadly, I don't think Nicolas Cage has actually played many Manic people. Well, he just only manic is people, Manic. Just, yeah, <laughs> and then. There's this heartbreaking moment where Katie Katie comes over to help, and Katie's sitting behind her, and Steph has to ask her if she's real. She's like, are you, are you really there? And it's just, she's got this sort of lost look on her face. How fast Steph realizes in the house that the kid's not real. Yeah. And it it she's not completely gone. It all comes together for her, yeah. and you, you see her have that sad moment of, oh, crap. I'm broken. Yeah, this is not okay. I'm not dealing with this. Yeah. And she checks herself. That's, yeah, that's, I think, was interesting is because she has to be the grown-up here. It's a nice place, you know? I get my own room, good food. It's not like St. John's. It's not a hospital. It's assisted living. They have amenities, a pool. You don't think I can take care of you? I think you are. You're paying for it. It's nothing. I had some money put away. Yeah, bearer bonds in the wall. That was weird. We can make it work, Steph. I know we can. Games. Look, they have shuffleboard. 
You love shuffleboard. You can play when you come to visit. Hank, and I've talked about this. Donald Logue can play heartbroken better than just about anybody. That fit, that hangdog face he's got. Yes. But his sort of tears and the reaction to staff here is just heartbreaking. And she's she's the one who's basically checking herself in, but she's having to be the strong one for him. Yeah. Uh, it's very much patting him on the shoulder going, I'll be fine. I'll be all right. Yeah. Which is just, it's really amazing. And, and I'm sure it speaks to a larger theme of Hank is more of an adult in this show when we meet him than he has been at any point previously in his life, really, according to Mark and his ex-wife and other characters that we see. You know, we get this hint of a backstory that that Hank was a train wreck of a drunken child sure. at his worst. And so we're kind of seeing the closest thing back to adult Hank that any of the other characters have seen. And for his crazy sister to still kind of eclipse him yeah. in terms of, of knowing the adult thing to do here, I think kind of speaks to just how much can Hank ever really turn it around? This right. is this is peak Hank. Yeah. He's the grown up compared to Brit, but that's yes. just he's had more experience. But He's still not the grown-up. But I still get the feeling that eventually Britt would eclipse him. Yeah, because Hank is sort of stuck where he is. Yeah, yeah and, and this true. is – Hank's clawed his way back up to this. Yeah. Like, this is sober adult Hank. Yeah. And sober adult Hank is always going to look like burned-out college student. Yeah. For most people. Yeah. And, and that you get this sense that Hank is from a more magnificent Ambersons kind of family, that, that he's got a brilliant sister who is crazy – and, you know, that there's this hint of a family life that isn't really what I thought maybe Hank would have grown up with. Right. Yeah. You imagine him sort of more blue collar a little bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I wanted to picture that character. And it, Donald Logue also plays those characters really well for me. He yeah. plays somebody with with more education and more home folksiness than should be combined in one person sometimes. Uh, yeah. Donald Logue is the person that everybody everybody mentions, like if they watch Terriers when it was on live. Yes. The Donald Logos will got him to it. Like, yes. Oh, he's in it? I'm watching it. Yes. Uh, and, and because he's an incredibly well-known face, uh, whether you – he has an odd name and so it's easy to remember. Sure. But everybody saw at least an episode of Grounded for Life somewhere. Mm-hmm. That that show ran long enough that it, it made him known where at least you'd look at him and go, oh, that dude. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good place to wrap things up. Yeah. Okay. So where are we leaving off of this episode? We've got an amnesiac assault case. Guilt is tearing Katie apart, and Steph has to go away for her own good. And we got fun. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tayan. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash Paul Tayan. Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening. 